This is brought to you by Needed. Let's talk collagen protein. It is definitely one of my faves from Needed. It is third-party tested for heavy metals and sources from grass-fed, pasture-raised animals. Collagen is so great for pregnant mamas as they need their protein for blood sugar management. I personally love and take it now for the role that it plays in my skin. I have never felt so good about my facial complexion. I also take it to help me recover after the gym. It can help with recovery after birth, surgery, fitness, pelvic floor health, and more. You won't regret adding this to your daily routine. I know I haven't. Get 20% off today by using code VBAC20 at checkout at thisisneeded.com. That is VBAC20. Hello, hello. You are listening to the VBAC link, and I am excited to be sharing a story with you today that we have gotten a lot of requests about. It's something that we don't see very often. And my question is why? I don't really know why we don't see these stories popping up. I mean, even in the community, I have had to like search through our VBAC link community on Facebook to find these stories. And there's like three, I think. So I'm excited to talk about this story today because I know that it's very much requested and we're going to be talking about gestational diabetes. Gestational diabetes, again, is something that we don't see, but it's actually pretty common. I mean, crazy enough, like we're we're seeing a rise. In fact, um, last year in 2022, there was an article published talking about... Um, the the actual rise that we're seeing and they said the new analysis of 3.25 million birth records follow a string of studies that suggest gestational diabetes has become increasingly prevalent over the last three decades which is kind of crazy and so every year anywhere between two to ten percent of women will be diagnosed with gestational diabetes And we know that the cesarean rate is just here in the U.S. is just above 32%. So if you think about the 32% and 2 to 10%, you've got to think that people that are going for a VBAC are having gestational diabetes. And so my question is, is are we not seeing VBAC with gestational diabetes because providers aren't allowing us? That's my question. And Charlotte today, welcome to the show. She is going to be sharing her story about gestational diabetes and her VBAC, right, Charlotte? That's right. Super excited. Yes. I'm so excited. I'm so glad that we connected. Charlotte lives in South Carolina, in Greensville specifically, and they have two baby boys. Well, not baby, baby, but they're young. She has a very (laughs) baby and then a younger baby. Um, she works in the healthcare administration for a very large health um, care system and has truly become a birth nerd outside of the work. And I feel like this is something that birth, birth just does this to us, to a lot of us. It just, it captivates us, right, Charlotte? Like, do you feel like birth totally. is what brought you into your obsession with birth and feedback in general? It's life-changing. I mean, you know, once you've been through it, it just, it's such a seismic shift for me and it opens your, your eyes to what women are going through. And then you hear people's stories and everyone has something that stuck with them. People from years, years older still remember exactly how their birth story went. So I just, it started to get, I'm very type eight. So I just turned to research. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I became a doula, right? Through my own birth experiences. And I know that's why a lot of other doulas become doulas or midwives become midwives or OBs become mid- OBs, right? Like, so it's really awesome. And um, we are really excited to have your episode on the show. So thank you for being here today. I have a review of the week as usual. So I'm going to get into that and then we will share Charlotte's birth stories. Today, the review is from Blainly. And it says, there for me when I needed support. There for me when I needed support. It says, I got pregnant right at the start of the pandemic of 2020. It was a very lonely time, isolated with my toddlers. I couldn't even hug my mom or get her support in the beginning. I had to switch providers due to insurance changes, and I was scared. The VBAC link became my companions in this time. Julie and Megan, my friends. I would listen with one earbud while caring for my boys. It was educational and encouraging just when I needed it. 
I learned tons about birth and how to advocate for my VBAC. In January 2021, I had my successful VBAC. It was a wonderfully redemptive process. Even though they aren't being produced right now, it's still in the first thing I recommend in any of my friends who were expecting VBAC or first baby. I just love it and I hope it comes back soon. Well, this was back in the pandemic and we did take a break and we are back. So thank you, Blainly. I hope you're still with us and I hope you just heard your wonderful review. We really do appreciate these reviews so much. So if you haven't had a chance, I always ask, stop and go check out wherever your Apple podcast or Google or wherever you're listening and leave us a review. We absolutely love them. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay, Charlotte. Oh my gosh. I am seriously like, you're going to be the first episode, I believe, I don't recall any other episodes with gestational diabetes. I think that's right because I looked when I was diagnosed and I found yeah. some other, I found a birth story not, that was a VBAC, I think not on a VBAC podcast about uh-huh. diabetes. It was like one yes. that I could listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've got some that have diabetes like previously before pregnant, but none with gestational diabetes. Mm-hmm. So congratulations on being our first. I hope you are not the last. So if you're listening out there also, and you had gestational diabetes and you had an EBAC, we do want to share your story. We want to help people just like Charlotte when she was out there looking for these stories and only found one. We really want to add some stories because it's, it's really not something we're seeing or hearing. So I'd love to turn the time over to you. And we know that every VBAC I'll just start with the C-section. Mm-hmm. So if you want to talk about your firstborn's birth, we would love that. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. I once again was telling you this podcast really started my journey. Uh, I mean, you know, there was the C-section and then some mm-hmm. conversations with providers that kind of fueled the fire. But then yeah. after that, VBAC Link was one of the first things I turned to. So um, super surreal being here today. So yeah, so in um, so I'm married to my husband Hunter, and in 2020, um, my father had some before the pandemic started had a very you know two back to back major surgeries, which oh. kind of like put things into perspective. Then the pandemic hit, and we just you know a lot of things got canceled. The same story for a lot of people, mm-hmm. and we were like, okay, well we were putting it off. We had been together 12 years or 10 or 12, I can't even remember now, <laughs> 11 years right. at that point. And, um, you know, we were just like, let's just go for it. And we got pregnant very quickly first month and we're super excited, uncomplicated pregnancy, other than just the general stress of the pandemic, you know, yeah. it's tough to be pregnant and not have that support, you know, of feeling like you can go and be out with your friends, uh, see your family without potentially killing them. I know, like all the fear. Well, and even then, like, I mean, for a lot of my dual clients here in Utah, it was like, they were being told that if they went out and they got COVID, they were threatened, right? They were like, you won't have your baby. You won't have your husband. You could kill your baby. I mean, they were seeing these very scary, scary things. Yeah. Yeah. So like that, that wasn't great, you know, and um, in in hindsight, that pregnancy, I had a lot more just like time to myself worrying. Um, But overall, it went very well. And right around the time that things were starting to like, they were allowing, you know, at least making sure like no questions, you had a birth support partner and all that. Um, It was starting to feel even though he was delivered in January of 21, which was almost the worst of it. So 
you know, we were at a normal OB practice. As I mentioned, I work in healthcare administration, academic medicine. I work remote now, but back then I was, you know, prior to the pandemic going into the hospital. Mm-hmm. So very comfortable with physicians. My mother's a physician. So yeah, I've had no issue with that. Really had no reason to question, right. you know, medical care. And right. so, um, and there was also a new birthing center, a new birth wing of our hospital. They had always delivered babies, but they had delivered at the other hospital in town mm-hmm. for whatever reason. So they, I was one of, you know, within the last year, 11 months, it had opened. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they were still getting, I mean, it was amazing. Getting on their foodies, feet. But they yeah. were, I think there was just some, you know, growing pains and they, but they was, you know, had everything you could think of in this new center. Um, and so anyways, I was 38 weeks pregnant. So I did deliver a little early with this guy, my son, Augie, um, Augustus is his full name. And so we, yeah, so we, I had a trickle come out in the middle of the night around 38 weeks. And I was like, what is that? You know, it could be pee, could be whatever. Nothing started. So we went back to bed. No big deal. I like finished up some things with work the next day. And we just said, you know, why don't we just go get this checked out? We went to labor and delivery. They tested it. And it was negative for amniotic mm. fluid. So we're like, okay, great. So we went back, got home about 9 p.m. that night, um, went to bed early, just was tired from being in triage. It always takes longer than you expect. Mm-hmm. And then woke up at 1 p.m. to pee or 1 a.m. as everybody does, you know, in last trimester. Yep. And, you know, there was more of a gush at that point. And so that's when I knew for sure this is starting. So my labor started with water breaking, which now I know that can be the start of a ton of positioning issues, which is what happened with me. And I, yeah, so then really quickly went into labor. Um, I had actually done a birth class virtually with a doula and I didn't have a doula, but I felt like, okay, I'm going to try and go kind of go as long as I can without an epidural. That was always my thing. I'll go as long as I can, but I'll still probably have one. Like I always kind of had disclaimers. Yeah. So I started laboring, um, felt like very primal, very natural, dark, I was all on all fours, but it was, it felt intense from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I say this now to my husband, I've never feel like I've had early labor with either of these pregnancies, <laughs> these labors. It just goes straight to intense for me mm. personally. And so I was, you know, feeling really kind of like, oh my gosh, grunting through them, moaning, doing yes. all the things. And we did that for about four to five hours. Um, yes. And then I started to feel nervous and I wanted to, you know, go ahead to the hospital. So we made our way there. When I got there, they, you know, they checked me or they checked the amniotic fluid. It was amniotic fluid. I believe it had been the time before as well. And they checked me and I was four centimeters. So I was super excited. Felt like, oh, this is moving quickly and I'm gonna have this baby today. Yeah. So it was on the on the birth ball. You know, I just was prepared prepared so I thought. And um got into my room and felt just like this is super intense and I'm nervous this is gonna move so fast that I won't be able to get an epidural. Mm-hmm. So I better go ahead and get anesthesiology to come. Mm-hmm. And you know but bunches of people coming in and out. I'm sure it kind of slowed things down at that point. But, um, you know, I had a medical stu- medical student and a attending come in and ask if I wanted to be a part of a cervical check study. And I work in academic medicine. So, yeah, of course, like, yeah. definitely, you know, let's sign up because that matters for students. And in hindsight, once again, you know, you learn all these things after the fact. And you don't want to say no to things like that with no, it's kind of awkward because you're like, I know you need to learn and I want to help you. But yeah. yeah, but it's like, no, like, I don't need more checks. I don't need more people interrupting me. Like, Especially now with your I water know how- broken. Right, right. So anyway, so there were things like that. And then, you know, they come in. I'm feeling very intense still. And I'm seven centimeters. So I'm like, wow. amazing. Like, I'm going to keep moving this along. This is great. Texting all my family and friends that this is hey, well, we're this is easy. Like I'm getting my epidural and be a couple hours and this is done. Mm-hmm. Um, so they gave me my epidural, worked great. And I just chilled. I, I knew about the peanut ball and I did do the peanut ball, but I think I just laid around, you know, I had my catheter. 
I was drinking all the fluids and the popsicles and, you know, mm-hmm. just having to get the, just, you know, just the normal things. You're, you're hooked up to everything at that point. Right. And we were just chilling. And then time passed and it was the whole day. And then they checked me again and, you know, okay, taking some time, but it's still normal. That, and I actually had a midwife that was the person on call, surprisingly, or the 24-hour provider. So I was a midwife in caring mm-hmm. for me. And they just kept saying, this is normal for a first birth. And I was like, okay, more time passed. Um, they decided, okay, let's, let's get some Pitocin to keep this going. So I started Pitocin. Um, and I'm sure you're hearing the same old story. <laughs> you know, interventions, right? You know, it, ha- it, it does. It does happen like that. Not always, but it does, right? Where it's like, all right, like we've been going, we've been going. We do need to get this labor going. Mm-hmm. So Pitocin's the next option. Right. Yep. Yep. And so, yeah, then it's, you know, then it started with that and I knew, okay, let's do the peanut ball. Let's move around. But I don't, I didn't know. I I thought peanut ball was enough, right? It wasn't with the right positions. And had I known all all the positioning issues I came to find out my son had, if I had had a doula, if I had had the right tools at my disposal, I would have held off on the epidural. There's so many things I would have done. And that's tough for me. That's something I struggled yeah. with of the what if I could have done better had I known. Right. Um, and but so you can't anyways, blame yourself. You can't blame no, yourself. No, you can't. <laughs> so anyways, time passes, you know, all in all, the labor was 27 hours. So I can't, I don't know exactly the duration of time, but you know, the, at one point we got multiple checks. Okay. You're, you're, you've gotten a little farther. Great. You know, let's do internal monitoring. Let's, let's right. do this. Let's see. Okay. The baby's not coming down as much as we'd like. Um, he's OP, asynclitic. And I come to find out, I think he had a nuchal hand cause he came out like this and his hand was super bruised up. Oh yeah. So, so when, yeah. when your so water we- broke, he just So tons of an asynclitic is, you know, your head, the head's kind of tilted to the side. So, so he had all of those things. Um, He was not coming down. They manually and OB manually tried to kind of push him up and switch him and was like sweating and working hard for 30 minutes on that. So you can imagine my body going through it. My epidural kept breaking through. So I'd go from zero to 100 Pitocin, nine centimeter contraction and just pain. And, you know, they put tons. Messing up, messing with things. Mm -hmm. Tons of meds and just, you know, they'd try and get it all back and I'd be fine again. But it's like in hindsight, we did throne position. They let me push on all fours. Like they let me push, you know, I did end up getting to nine centimeters or so when we started pushing they let me push for four hours. So in hindsight, there was a lot that they let me do with a epidural, you know, just things I think would be part of a positive story. So all in all, 27 hours passed. I'm exhausted. Nothing's wrong with me. Nothing's wrong with baby. But the midwife comes in and says, look, I think we need to call it. I don't think he's coming down. He's super high still you know, right or wrong. I don't know if more time would have helped, but he was starting to get kind of a swollen part on his head. And they just said, I think it's time. You can definitely have a vaginal birth one day. And she said that to me. I was like, okay, I'm I'm done too. And I, you know, I definitely was tearful. There was like, you know, you always have those angels in your story. I had like an angel nurse that came like, oh honey, I've had three C-sections and it's great. You know, and at the time that's what I needed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just that right person at the right time to kind of comfort mm-hmm. you. Just, yeah. And relate. I think being right. able to relate and be like, okay, you did it. You're here. I'm yeah, going to go. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so whisked away into the C-section and um, they, you know, usually the husband doesn't follow right away. They clean you, do all the things and then they come in. Well, my husband never comes in. <laughs> so uh, oh. my husband had not eaten had not slept and he ends up getting lightheaded and oh, no. almost passing out, which case oh. he's being cared for by the midwife that was caring for me in the past. Yeah. He never came in. They got his phone, which was a godsend. And I had like this amazing CRNA that took like the most amazing pictures of the oh. C-section that ended up being a lot, a big part of my healing process was being able to see, yes. see yes. everything. Yeah. yeah. It's weird so, because, you know, sometimes you don't even think like, I don't want to, you don't know if you want to see that, but it is so healing or at least it was yeah. for me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it helps you piece things together. And yeah. once again, I mean, parts of that were really, I would say, a positive thing. You know, I had the clear drape. I didn't ask for that. They did the clear drape. They did skin to skin to some extent or, you know, delayed cord clamping, not as much as you'd want, but, you know, they did all that. But I was yeah. so out of it by that point. I was shaking. I was passing out constantly. And so I was holding my baby, but I thought he was suffocating on me. So I was like, just take him to his dad. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was uncomplicated. Exactly what we thought. It was all the positioning issues and, you know, no big, no big deal, really. But, you know, they take me to pack you, wheel me in. And the type A person in me goes, okay, forget recovering from that. Now I need to take back control of Mm -hmm. my experience. So Hunter, get me a cold brew coffee, which I just like (laughs) shake my head. I'm like, why didn't you just sleep when you could have sleep? Um, And I took, I drank a cold brew in PACU and put that kid to my boob. And they were like, wow, you know how to do that already. And I just was like, yep. You know, I want to be, I want to be the mom now. I want right. to go back to normal. Right. Well, it, that was the beginning of like a very traumatic couple days where mm-hmm. I didn't sleep at all in the hospital. I got very engorged. He had latch issues. Mm-hmm. I was told to start pumping. I got a enormous oversupply, like 98 ounces in one day. Oh my gosh. Like a couple weeks in. Yeah, and it, it, it tanked our experience. Obviously, he ended up getting a milk protein intolerance. So it kind of layered on. I don't blame the C-section on that, but I do blame yeah. my mindset a little bit of, and probably lactation, just, just some bad advice of they didn't know I was going to have an oversupply. Then would yeah. just go crazy like that. But yeah, so, it, you know, it, I had trauma from that too. I didn't, I felt like, okay, I'm recovering yeah. from a C-section and I'm pumping around the clock. And all of that isn't coinciding with me caring for my baby. My husband learned to do everything in the hospital. Yep. It was all focused on my recovery. Anytime he needed to eat, it coincided with me needing to pump. And it was, it was heartbreaking, really. The second I allowed myself to stop, we started bonding, luckily. And, you know, so that, that just, after that was when our relationship truly began, but it, yeah, it was, it was a traumatic experience. You, you don't expect that you're going to have this life changing thing and then have to have you recovering from a C-section too. So right. that's kind of that story. Um, you know, I definitely healed over time with therapy. Um, I'll give a plug to EMDR therapy. It's a type of eye mm-hmm. movement therapy. I had one session of that and it helped me ration- get down to a rational level of why I was so upset by the experience. And just just starting to talk about it with people and watch, you know, just everything mm-hmm. helped over time. Um, look at those pictures. And it just, it no longer became such an emotional thing as time went on. I want to take a quick moment to hear about our partner, Needed, the leading women's health supplement brand recommended by nutritionally trained practitioners. Needed was founded by two incredible mamas who were navigating their fertility journey. They were shocked to realize that 97% of women take prenatal vitamins, yet 95% of us are nutrient deficient. Is that not eye-opening or what? Getting the right prenatal vitamin is super important. So how do we know which one's best? While most perinatal supplements include the bare minimum, of the nutrients women and babies need, Needed has all of your needs covered from your prenatal vitamin to pregnancy-specific pre- and probiotic, immune lactation and nausea support, as well as supplements that help us with our protein needs, balancing our blood sugar, and postpartum healing. Needed's complete plan delivers unparalleled nourishment for every phase, whether you're thinking of conceiving, pregnant, postpartum, or deeper into your mommy years like me, these supplements are amazing. I take the collagen protein every single day and absolutely love it. Learn more about Needed's complete line of perinatal and women's health supplements at thisisneeded.com. Use code VBAC20 for 20% off. That is VBAC20 at thisisneeded.com. But I still felt sad when I saw people having what I wanted, a good breastfeeding experience and a typical birth. Um, but more and more, I didn't see typical births in my friend group, my close friend group, maybe four or five of us have had C-sections, lots, several are breached, but, 
but it started to be like, it wasn't that I was feeling alone. It was that I started to question what's going on. Like, right. why is this happening? Yeah. That's um, how it is in my starts- tight friend group. There's four of us from high school. Three out of the four of us have had C-sections multiple. Yeah. Yeah. And we're more so like, kind of like rooting for people like get, get a vaginal birth please like have a routine situation like and you don't see it very often or at least not not in my close group um, and so that's what really started to make me question things so fast forward January 22 not quite thinking of having a baby yet but had a routine OB appointment asked you know asked about VBAC you know yeah. that I probably want to stop taking my birth control and just you know maybe sometime this year maybe we'll start trying and they said, yeah, you know, we're a VBAC friendly practice, but yeah. So just, and I told her maybe like a one minute spiel on what happened to me. She goes, so just based on what you've told me, I would say you have a 20% success rate. Oh, so I guess she can calculate it in her head mm. without okay. even doing the calculator. Right. Um, I guess they're super friendly uh, like that. They do so many. I come to find out they have a super high episiotomy rate and oh. a lot of other things that they're not friendly at all really at all so you're like you um, are friendly air quotes (laughs) yeah so I got completely gutted by that hadn't even really committed that I wanted to be back but feeling that I was told that it just was so upsetting um it made me start listening to the VBAC link through a couple episodes I heard about requesting your operative notes so I did that right away which was amazing because in that note said a bunch of things that I didn't know. I didn't know asynclitic. I didn't know right. some of the terms that made me be able to speak to it more in a more of an educated way. And then, yeah. And then t- I messaged the doctor and there she's like, no, absolutely nothing was wrong. You could totally do it. She still gave me a success rate of 54%, but she's like, but that's just a conversation topic. You can absolutely do it. So I was like, okay, yeah. great. Um, and she told me I was 10 centimeters. So they saw, so oh, okay. I, you know, I got there. Um, I yeah. could do this again. I started interviewing doulas, even <laughs> pregnant, and they. Were, I just started to hear positive things. Like if you could get through an OP, asynclitic baby, water breaking, 27 hours of labor, you got this. With a well-positioned baby, it would not be like what you experienced. So hearing these things, I started to get hyped up. Like I can do this. Excited. Um, yeah. Felt the empowerment yeah. back. You were feeling empowerment. Like Mm -hmm. that is what is so important because that first visit, any empowerment that you had was like wiped, like an, you know, an an erase board and a white erase board. And it's like, no, you have 20%. Okay. Great. You know? So it's so good to hear that you were being built back up. Absolutely. So yeah. So then, you know, months pass and in July, August, we decided to start trying again. Luckily, we we were pregnant again very quickly. Come to find out, we're having a a boy, another son, and we're very excited. And that's kind of when my preparation started. I did all the things. I joined a midwife practice. It was a midwife practice that delivers at the most uh, acute hospital, so they're mm-hmm. actually you know affiliated with the with the big health system here. So that gave me comfort that I'd be able to birth in a suite that had a pool, but it would be in the hospital right down the hall from a C, you know, OR if I needed it. Um, And so that was great. I hired a doula that had had VBAC. That's known as like the VBAC whisperer in town. I went to Webster trained chiropractic, did prenatal yoga. I mean, I did, I did everything I could think to do. I tried not to go overboard with, with eating and then, yeah, I mean, I even went to pelvic floor specialist to like do practice pushing. Like I did everything I could yeah. think of because that, that was how I could control um, right. and control the thing with me. Like I just wanted to feel like I've done everything in my control right. to get this. If it doesn't happen, I think I could come to peace with that. Right. Um, that's what I felt would be the case. So mm-hmm. anyways, fast forward, routine pregnancy up until... 28, 29 weeks when you get the gestational diabetes screen, did it, failed it, was bummed by that, but also heard, oh, everyone, you know, so many people fail it. So then yeah. did the three hour test and come, I think I failed three of the four that you needed in the, mm-hmm. in the time and you needed two to pass. 
So I, yeah, so I filled it and I was, I, w- I was surprised how gutted I was. I was devastated by that because I kept waiting for the shoe to other shoe to drop the whole right. pregnancy right? because I hadn't had any barriers. What was going to like, you know, all the barriers you hear people have, right? Well, you have to advocate for yourself. I hadn't experienced that even having like a VBAC consult with their OB kind of group that helped yeah. them out. Uh-huh. And I supposedly went to the doctor that's all very pro C-section. He was even very mm. supportive. So I was like, what's, you know, what's going on? What's going to get here? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, they, the, the midwife said, nope, you can still see us. You can still um, come to us, even if you have to go on insulin, but you really need to try and say diet control. That was what I heard. Diet like control. Diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is what will help you stay a normal risk patient. And that's easier said than done, I come to realize, you know, it Mm -hmm. really is. Um, I, you know, quit. And it's challenging, too, because time passes, you you have to get an appointment with the dietitian, you have to get your supplies through insurance. So it takes a while to get in the routine of taking your blood, your blood sugar you know, multiple times in a day. Mm. Um, and then maybe weeks pass before you can figure out what's causing you to have bites. So right. it's a whole new thing. Like I'm trying to focus on VBAC, prenatal yoga, all the things to be like, you know, super Zen. But then now I'm having multiple appointments, tracking logs. Like it was a, it was very stressful for me. Yeah. And there's certain things that, you know, your fasting blood sugar, for example, there's very little you can do to control that. It's, you know, very challenging to get that control because it's all about your placenta and how it's kind of, you know, metabolizing the yeah, sugar. Filtering it, it's yeah. not what you ate in pregnancy. You know, there's a lot of, pre, pre, you know, I guess, misconceptions about it. So the best thing I can share is Lily Nichols uh, has real food for pregnancy, pregnancy and then real food for gestational diabetes. The, and maybe you could link to those, Megan. Those two books were super helpful for me because what I came to find out, and it, it probably works for some people, but the dietitian stuff you get just from the hospital, one visit and the handout yeah. is really high carb. Like considering it's the carbohydrates and the sugars that are causing issues. Yeah. It doesn't work. The, the plan just on the paper doesn't work for everybody to control their, their gestational diabetes. So that was not, that was too high for me. Like when I too followed much. that plan, I wasn't in control of diet. So um, Lily Nichols, you know, you can take bits from each, but I found that that book, and that's what my midwife suggested, was lower carb um, and all about real foods and had stuff about supplements and um, all of that. So I found that super helpful um, to staying diet controlled. You know, in, in hindsight, even though I had it probably the whole time, I ended up only doing diet control for two weeks before I gave birth. So lucky for me in some ways, one of the silver linings, I didn't do the diet for very long, you know, but I did kind of get all the information I needed. Essentially, they were telling me, you know, if you became insulin dependent or needed insulin, we're out of control. I think it was like 90, I think it was like 90% of your readings needed to be in control. So you could have a one-off okay. here and there. Yeah. Um, if they weren't, and this is just my practice, then you'd have to start seeing a maternal fetal medicine doctor who would mm. consult on your diabetes and insulin. Right. And you could still deliver with the midwives. But I think my perspective was if you're on insulin, you have to start having NSTs weekly. You yeah. have to start having, I think, I can't remember what it's called. It's like some sort of meta or BP or some other testing weekly testing for the baby. I can't remember oh. what, what it's some acronym just to like check their, you know, heart rate and all that. Um, okay. I can't okay. remember what it's called, but there's two types of like weekly testing you would start to have to have if you're on insulin. And I don't think you have to have growth scans, but I think they probably, re- you know, start to offer it to see how baby's doing. So those are, that's where I feel like maybe people start to get discouraged by their providers is when their growth scans large or they mm-hmm. start having NSTs, obviously. Like there's just much more surveillance. And yeah. then, you know, they encourage you to get induced. If you're on insulin, it's a, it's a lesser time that they allow you to go. They make you right. go, at, you know, it's anywhere from 
I'd have to look it up, but it's like, you know, 37 to, if it's really uncontrolled to like early 39, if it's insulin controlled. So, you know, diet controlled, you're treated like any other, any other birth. So that's where I think maybe we're, you're seeing not as many VBACs as you have a lot of because they're not yeah because they're not in control or they've been transferred to mfms and they're like at this point it's just better to get this baby out earlier and control blood sugar and have a repeat cesarean yeah and i mean i might have made i might have made that decision myself like you know you start to just get medicalized again yeah um and it's discouraging and you worry what's happening to the baby is it okay oh the nst's you know not looking good and I just think it takes that from you and it's needed sometimes. I'm very, I'm sure, but it was, you know, I, in some ways it was a blessing in disguise. You know, I, I would have, I would have had a C-section if my son could have stayed in for two more months, but it was a blessing in disguise um, in some ways that, that it happened what it did. So anyways, I guess yeah. I'll, I'll continue unless you have other things you want. No, me to I talk just- about. I just pulled up the book and sent it to myself. So we're going to make sure that we have it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, right. Because I think that's really important to have. Yeah. Yeah. Just more tools at your disposal. Cause it, you know, I, and Lily Nichols is a dietitian and she even says like, it's some of the stuff they're still teaching is archaic. And we've found that it's, it, there's better ways to do these things. And she helped, I think she said, said something like she helped develop the diabetes, gestational diabetes stuff for the ADA or diabetes. So she has some wow. major credentials. So, wow. um, you know, I think she's, she's legit, but anyway, so two weeks past 32 and two, I start, I, I feel huge. I feel, and I'm not, uh, but I feel like pressure and low. Um, and I'm, I tell my mom, you know, I can't do this for much longer the night before, which is weird. Yeah. I had also bought, <laughs> yes. I'd also bought some like Easter stuffies with like names on it for my son. Um, and I bought one for my other son, which was foreboding. Cause I was like, he was here by Easter <laughs> and he wouldn't is, have been otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. So there were, I don't know if my body knew my, I knew in the back of my head, he was going to come early, but so I started feeling pressure and just weird, but nothing like I would have noticed. I just started to feel like, Oh gosh. And I had a pedicure for later that day, that weekend I was going to have my baby sprinkle. Didn't have an in-person shower with my son and didn't end up having one with my with my second son mm-hmm. uh but had all these things planned and so I go get a pedicure for all that stuff coming up I don't think that's what put me into labor but uh but it was kind of funny I'm like now I, I if I ever had another kid I probably wouldn't just had a cure yeah you like, it's a like little coincidental here. for me yeah um so I was just like using that back massager and because I was already feeling something in my back I was like oh my god I just feel so good I get home my husband and my son are home and I, you know, we just learned about Rebozo and my, I was thinking yeah. hypnobirthy class. That was the other thing or a hypno type bait, you know, hypnosis uh-huh. class. And so he was doing Rebozo shifting, uh, sifting, and he was, you know, for me and it felt so good. I was like, okay, great. You know, and I was practicing my hypnosis and I was like, this is Braxton Hicks, I think, but man, these are like crazy. And I never remember someone saying that Braxton Hicks hurt. So I, you know, just start, it's a wave. It's definitely a wave each time. So I lay down and I'm just like, let me just go rest for a second. And I'm going to go get in the bath. Well, when I go to the restroom, there's blood. So I, that freaks me out, obviously. I still don't think I'm in labor, but I'm like, something might be wrong. So let me go to Especially at 32 weeks, right? You're like, uh, uh. Yeah. So I go um, get in the car. I tell my husband, like, I just need to go to triage. So I it's 30 minutes away. So I always knew we were going to have like a little bit of a drive to get to the hospital. So I drive myself to the hospital in labor uh, now that I come to find out. <laughs> and I was doing my hypnosis techniques. And I mean, I, I was just like, let me just get there as fast as I can. Luckily, I got there fast as I think I got there in like 25 minutes. So I got there super fast. So and my mom had had me a month early and drove herself to the hospital. And that was always her claim to fame. I had to had to do it. You're too, like, I'm going to do it too. <laughs> yeah, I had to do it too. So, and my parents live in town. So they were, they came over to watch my son. So my husband was far behind me. So I get to triage and they put me on the monitor, baby's fine. And it doesn't look like I'm having contractions, which is good news. And they're like, okay, let's get the midwife in. We'll check you if that's okay. 
and she is like, oh yeah, these are not really like typical waves. And then she checks me and I see her face go white. Oh. And she's like, you're five centimeters. So I'm going to need to call the doctor um, oh. because you, we can no longer help because you're preterm, which was, which was chat, which is like, you know, a bummer yeah. at the time. I was like, okay, great. Yeah. And so, and then he's like, she says, oh, there's a contraction. <laughs> whatever, for whatever reason, I wasn't showing a contraction before. I think that happens sometimes in preterm birth, apparently, because um, they're so far up or small or something. Yeah. And say that they, they're used to tracking them lower and yeah. it's not, right? The uterus is. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, so then the doctor comes in, he's a resident and all these things like, could have been bad, but you know, it's so funny. I ended up just having like the most amazing providers. It's like, it was just interesting to me. Like all the things I was worried about. I don't know if feedback is becoming more of a thing now or because they work so closely with the midwife practice, they see it happen and see it happen well. And with success, you know, I think they have like an 80% success rate The the, the, the midwife group in town with VBAC. So that's awesome. Um, anyways. Yeah. So, so they come in and they're just like, you know, we're so sorry. You're five centimeters. You're having this baby. We can try, we can try and just slow it down. There's not really anything you can do, but you can just like lay there and let's just hope you stay in labor for 24 hours or like, did they like try like, to like, stop? Did they try to stop your contractions or anything like no, that? No, like they don't. I think I was right over the cusp of when they wouldn't do magnesium and I don't know exactly why they do or don't, but they say they do mm -hmm. it with, with younger than that for, I think, cerebral palsy mm -hmm. reasons or something. So they did Did they try to um, do any, like, steroid injections for lungs? Like, did they, they did do steroid injections, but it moved too quickly for it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I go, you go in, they just say, we'll just see what happens. And so I didn't know what to do. I was like, should I be doing labor-y things or should I right. just be sitting here? Um, the nurses were like, don't go to the bathroom. We don't want you to start getting on like dilation station. I'm like, I need to go though. You know, so I was feeling kind of conflicted. We called my doula. She was in a four day induction. Uh, so she, oh my. she supporting another, you know, practice person. So she was not able to come and she said, well, do you want me to send a backup doula? And I said, yeah, like let's, let's yeah. bring them on whatever. Yeah. And so my that duel ended up being amazing. She gets in, gets right in. I'm starting to feel really kind of uncomfortable. They check me again. I'm seven centimeters. So this is moving so much Quick. faster than my last yeah. birth. You know, this all started around 4 p.m. Not really anything, but still, you know, the waves or whatever. Right. By the time I got there at seven, it was kind of starting to feel more intense. And then I had the baby by midnight, so 12:34. So it was fast for me. Um, it, I wouldn't say precipitous yeah. or whatever, but it was. But very... still, I mean, 27 hours, 27 hours, right? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. So she gets in there. We just, the doctor says, no, you can do whatever you want. Oh, oh, and let me back up for a second. So when they say the baby's coming this early, I said, do we need to do a C-section? You know, whatever. Just if we need to get the baby out, let's just get the baby out. Mm -hmm. They said, no, you know, if you want to be back, that's totally fine. And, and that would be beneficial for the baby at this point mm -hmm. that, Having a vaginal birth at this gestation is better for the baby's lungs than doing a C-section. Like, of course, they'll do a C-section if something, but, you know, it, it, right. there's some benefits to pushing better. out the liquid. So I, I was so excited by that, um, that yeah. thing that, and then, you know, they were like, you, you want to do it unmedicated, right? And, or do you? And I said, yeah, I do. Can I move around? He said, yeah, there's, there's no stopping this baby at this point. Like, just do what you need to do. So I was able to, you know, get on the birth ball. I mean, I wasn't in a, a pool, a birth room with a pool, but I was, you know, able to do my thing um, and move mm -hmm. around at least. And this time I had really kind of committed. I was going to do unmedicated because of the hypnosis and all the things I had done. And so I, yeah, labored very quickly. It was super intense transition pretty much the whole time I was there. I got, there was a lot of blood coming out, um, which was, scary you know I'm not really because I was kind of out of it but I was like is this okay there's like blood dropping everywhere and they're like yeah I mean you're probably having a placental abruption oh that's no what big deal. did they say anything about your placenta so yeah so they said you know this is probably a placental abruption but if you're having that and the baby's fine it's fine if the baby's not fine you then it's not fine Right. Yeah. But I thought that was interesting. I had never heard a placental, you know, and that was probably why I was going into preterm 
labor was because the placenta was starting to separate. So yeah, so I just keep moving around doing my thing. All fours was most comfortable for me. And then, you know, I was 10 centimeters and the doctor comes back in the NICU staff come in and they never freaked me out about how preterm he was. I mean, that was the comforting thing. They said Mm -hmm. 32 weekers do amazing. They all, they do well. Luckily we were at a hospital that takes care of 22 Mm, weeks. Like, so uh, we were at the best hospital for this. And so that was super comforting through the whole experience. I think I would have had a lot more fear had they not said things like that to me. And so I, yeah, it was time to, they broke my water and they're like, this might take a second just for him to come down. We got the squat bar up and I did like two practice pushes. Like I was feeling so much pressure. It was, I don't even know if it's practice, but just like pushes that were semi productive. And then yeah. all of a sudden I just felt like this fire in me to just push him out in one push. <laughs> and I pushed so hard and like, Apparently, I screamed. I don't remember screaming, but I screamed so loud, and he shot out. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and we got all this on on pictures too. And so, yeah, he he came out. I don't know if he was screaming, but he came out. Theo is my um, second son. Mm-hmm. He was five pounds two ounces, so he's a big boy. Okay, I mean, yeah, maybe was gestational size. diabetes or whatever, but he was a yeah. good size. Um, they did, you know, bring him over to me um, briefly, the, you know, and all these things right. I understand. Right. They pulled, let him pulse for a second, you know, for 10 seconds. Like, and there, because they needed to go get him some oxygen. They before. wanted to make sure he's good. His little lungs needed. Yes. Just yeah. extra care. Yes. So he, he was whisked away to the NICU, which, you know, once again, there's trauma and things that, you know, of course, I wish my baby could stay with me. But in the moment, it was rational. He needed to go to the NICU. So in the moment, I felt back to myself. I felt, I mean, I was a little like stunned, but I was like, yeah. oh my God, like I feel my body. I feel no drugs, no fluids. No, I mean, yeah. you know, I think I did have a little bit of fluids, but it was just so different than my last experience where I was so drugged up. Yeah, I got to see my placenta. Uh, which they sent off for pathology, come nothing, and they found nothing. I mean, there's no yeah. answer, which is challenging. Like, why did yeah. this happen to me? Right. But it just happens sometimes. Fun yeah. fact: I did have COVID two months before uh, mm-hmm. the gestational diabetes. Even uh, no symptoms from it, but I just, I just wonder. Like, it kind of was like I had it in February. I got yeah. diagnosed in in uh, with gestational diabetes in March. Or early March, and I had him in late March. It My, just feels yeah, like as could, time comes on, they're finding have. your placental issues. Issues, um, yep. Yeah, but it wasn't. It, they didn't see anything kind of obvious. So, yeah. So he he came. Uh, he's healthy. He uh, we spent thirty nine days in the NICU, which was a challenge. It really was. Yeah. I I don't wish that experience on anybody. You know, being split having kind of, you know, your postpartum and pumping and yeah. going home without your baby, being there for my son, but having to be at the NICU all day, every day, it, yeah. it was a huge challenge for us, but he had a very routine time in the NICU. It just, he just needed time to grow. And he came back to us, um, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before. Um, mm-hmm. And we were just so happy he's eating well. Um, and he's eight pounds. I mean, he's amazing. Well, um yeah so uh, yeah now we're kind of back now we're on our healing journey of mm-hmm. now it's postpartum like the typical postpartum things um yes. but I just can't be thankful enough that I didn't have to deal with all of these challenges with a c-section at recovery yeah. on top of that I mean yeah. I felt physically back to myself very quickly I had a very small you know two-stitch tear mm-hmm. up not down so like I felt no, fine. Um, yeah. And I'm just grateful for that. And I'm grateful for all of those providers who yeah. let me do my thing and trusted me and my boy to work together to get him out safely. So yeah, that's, that's the story. Yes. Your team sounds really, really awesome. Like yeah. really awesome. And it's, it's something that, you know, we hope that it 
those types of teams are cloned all over the world, right? Mm -hmm. But we know it doesn't always happen that way. And so if you're listening and you've got gestational diabetes and you don't maybe have as supportive of a provider, no, you can always keep looking. Mm -hmm. But two, know that you can do exactly what Charlotte did is control what you can control, right? Control what you can control. You read the book, learn how to control your diabetes, um, learn all about that, and then try and just take baby steps along the way. You know, even when random things are thrown at you, like, you know, early term, preterm labor, you know, like that mm-hmm. could have been where you're like, okay, here's the boot. Instead of the shoe, here's a boot. It's being dropped. Like now I'm going into preterm labor, like, you know, but you didn't let it. You just put those boots on and kept walking. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So that's so awesome. So, so awesome. Um, did you have any symptoms of gestational diabetes before you got tested? I don't think so. Um, no, I, I, you know, I try and think back on if I did, I think I caught, caught it kind of so early. I got, mm-hmm. you know, the testing that that's another thing too. I would recommend trying to get your screenings done as early as possible because the earlier you catch it, the earlier you can control it with diet. Mm-hmm. It becomes harder to control as time goes on, but you can stop that baby. It, potentially, you can maybe right. diet control enough that you, you know, it doesn't, the baby doesn't get too big. I mean, and there's a lot of really supportive Facebook groups, gestational yes. diabetes, nutrition, like all these things, because it's hard to find information out there. Yeah. And it's helpful to hear, you know, those stories of, hey, my baby came out was small. You know, or was eight pounds, but, you know, not these huge babies that you hear of. And I'm sure a lot of people are, aren't diagnosed or are borderline and maybe have Yeah, there's undiagnosed. Yeah, there are undiagnosed where we're like, whoa, like, like we had, I had a client that baby was 11 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think one way I started to feel was this may be the blessing in disguise. Had I not, had that had just been on the borderline maybe I would have had an 11 pound baby. And mm-hmm. I mean, well, to be honest, Theo probably would have been big <laughs> if he had gone to term. But, you know, I think it's, it's almost good. The earlier you find out, you can diet control. You maybe can control your weight gain and have a healthier mm-hmm. pregnancy overall. Yeah. Um, and, and have less issues eating, after. Yes. And because I felt amazing, like just the fact that I had such a high protein diet and things like yes. in that time period, I feel like that even made me better equipped to have a vaginal birth. So yeah, I think there's, there are positives. If you can get past that initial kind of challenge of it Mm -hmm. that, okay, this is just going to keep me on track to have a healthy pregnancy. You can do it. I mean, you really can do it. I think as long as you just say, look, you know, they're going to have, they're going to do screenings. They're going to offer things. It may end up in an induction, but I think it's still worth pursuing if it's something you want to do. Yeah. And that is, that is one of the things is it may end up in an induction and that is still possible. They may be telling you that your baby is big. That doesn't mean vaginal birth is not possible, right? Like big babies come out of pelvises all the time, inductions and be back. Yes. It's not as ideal as a spontaneous labor, still very possible. So know that if you're listening, you're not alone out there, even though you might feel alone because there's not a ton of stories out there. And that makes me sad. So we are going to change that here on the podcast. <laughs> and it's starting right here with Charlotte. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, the worldwide database for VBAC doulas, and more, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC Link.